Welcome back to the Last Word on Sands podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. And joining me today and uh, making his return to the podcast, it's the one and only Brandon Plant from Sends Talk. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today? Alex, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on here for a second go. Uh, once we start a podcast up again, we'll have to have you on there too. But uh, let's talk some hockey, baby. Sends are back in session. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. And uh, yeah, like it, it's great. We have so much to talk about. Not only do we have games, but we have a massive contract to talk about as well. The contract that everyone's been waiting for all summer. And I think without uh, delaying it any further, this is what we got to jump right into. Brady Kachuk signs a brand new eight year deal with the Ottawa Senators. There was a lot of talk about a bridge deal. You know, what was it going to end up being? Uh, you know, what was he going to stay the full length? Uh, they get it done at an 8.205, very uh, specific cap hit uh, for, sorry, I believe it's uh, seven 8. years. 8.214, seven years, yeah. Yeah, seven years, not eight thing, years. If I can just mention, the funny thing is if you add two, one, and four, four plus five plus seven, it's 8.7. If you, if you do it like that, clearly Kachuk wanted 2.14 under after eight mil because it's seven, his favorite number. Little things like that always uh, always intrigue me with hockey. But sorry, yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, it's just uh, there's uh, obviously we'll discuss what we think of the contract here. But uh, I think regardless of, you know, the, the dollar amount, it's just nice that it's done and it's for such a long term. You know, it, it sounded like for the longest time that the Kachuk camp was really holding out for that two or three year deal. And and, uh, you know, I, I know we've gone back and forth. It feels like everyone's had an opinion, obviously, on it about whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing for the team. But at the end of the day, uh both peers seem to kind of stick to their guns here and go with that long-term deal and get seven locked in. Uh, give me your thoughts on the contract and uh, obviously what it means for the team, but you know, just uh, your, your thoughts on it as a whole. The monumental day in the history of this franchise. I think we all can agree on that. You know, after basically a few months of controversy around this signing and this whole negotiation. It's beautiful to see that the Sanders actually won this negotiation and were somehow able to not only lock him up for long-term, which we didn't think would be possible just a couple weeks ago, but more importantly, locked him up without a signing bonus. I think that's a miracle. And I think that really uh, shows testament to uh, the great work that Pierre Dorian has done uh, in regards to locking up some of these key players in the core. Now, if we're going to talk about Break a Chuck as the player, you know, I saw a lot of people saying that he's overpaid, uh, but you have to understand, I mentioned this in my video when we were, when I discussed um, a potential Break a Chuck contract, this of course being before he signed, I mentioned how, it makes more sense to sign break a chuck long-term, not just because you get that long-term stability and that security, but more importantly, you're saving money down the line. You know, we're, we're not the Patriots out here. We're not the Yankees. We're not the biggest franchise. We're a small market team, right? So, you know, you got to save some money any way you can. And if you lock them up for 8.2 million for the next seven years right now, you know, that might be a lot of money. Sure. But ask me in five years if that contract is, uh, um, you know, an incredible deal for the Sanders. I guarantee you I'll be able to say yes, because, um, Break a Chuck is putting up roughly 40 to 45 points in his first three years on average in the National Hockey League. And he's had, up until this year, not exactly the most elite line mates. So this guy is only going to get better as he ages like the rest of this core. Uh, so if you're a Sens fan, this shows true commitment uh, from the management and from ownership for the Sens. Um, and I think, like I said at the beginning of this little rant I'm having right now, uh, at the end of the day, it's a monumental day in Sens, uh, Sens uh, organization history. And, um, you know, I think this should really excite fans and hopefully we'll bring some back because uh, they've locked up Drake long term. They've locked up Shabbat long term. They've locked up 
Brady Kachuk long-term. Soon, hopefully, Josh Norris, too, will join the party. But at the end of the day, they've locked up three key assets to this core, and um, Brady Kachuk is the biggest of them all. Yeah, absolutely. I think I saw, you know, uh, unsurprisingly, a range of takes online when it was signed, uh, the day it was yeah. signed. Um, and, you know, the, one of the biggest ones and one of the worst narratives, in my opinion, is, wow, uh, uh, that eight mil, over $8 million for a dude who's never had over 45 points. And sure, that's true. You know, he, he's had 45 points, 44 points, 36 points. But you got to look at, A, the games played there. He was on pace for about 50 points as an 18-year-old in the NHL. Yeah. Uh, that is nothing to scoff at. You know, he only played 71 games in his debut in his uh, rookie year. The second year, year gets shut, court, uh, um, shut down early because of COVID. 44 points in 71 games. Again, that's almost a 50-point pace. Last year, 36 and 56. Once again, you're looking, because of the shortened seasons, why the totals are so low. If this guy had a full 82 in any of his three years, we'd be, A, looking at this different. But, yeah, everything you said is true as well, where he's only going to get better. And I know that's what every young fan says, or every fan base says about their young guys. And let's be honest, not all – uh, young guys, not all um, progression is linear, right? Like you don't yeah. naturally always just get better one year to another. There, there can be growing pains, setbacks and everything. But Brady Kachuk is one of the few players that I feel insanely confident when I say he will get better year over year. He has that work ethic um, and all, all the things he's good at right now is what you want him to be good at. Like, sure, you want him to put the pocket in the net a little more, but do I think he's a career 6% shooter? No, I really don't. And he's creating all these chances. I, I would be much more worried if this is a dude who was shooting 22% got paid for that, but doesn't actually create at a rate. And I know when it comes to things like expected goal models, uh, it might overrate Brady a little bit because he's been whacking. He whacks the puck. In the, yeah, shout in out the Jay pack. Fresh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I think that argument even is a little bit overrated too, where sure they, they do overrate it, but I think some people have been underrating it because again, he's just not a career 6% shooter, even if he is you know, whacking the puck into pads quite a bit. Um, and I think my biggest pushback on this contract, uh, or people who say this is a, a brutal contract or whatever, I, I think that's just flat out wrong. But um, you go to Evolving Hockey and they have a great contract projection model um, that's, you know, super accurate. It's not what they think. It's just based on priors. Yeah. Um, so people think this, you know, that say this is a while overpayment. Uh, their most likely contract was six years, $6.5 million on a seven-year uh, they had the cap hit at just a tad over seven. So sure. Then you look, it's like, okay, it's about a $1.1 million overpay. Look at what we've talked to already. You mentioned, this is not the Yankees. This is not the, you know, whatever. This is not the Tampa Bay Lightning yeah. that have won multiple cups. Yeah. This place has struggled like hell to save their own players, not only in the past couple of years, but that's been the narrative of this franchise forever. I think when it comes to the actual contract itself, to, itself too, we also have to understand that, like you said, Tampa Bay and Florida, these uh, teams in America, because of the way America is formed, uh, if you're in Florida, your taxes could be much lower compared to like California, for example, or you know Quebec or Ontario. So that's also a key factor. Where sure it's a little bit of overpayment, but you're not paying signing bonus. You're locking up your face of the franchise for seven years, and most importantly of all. You know, you got to make up for the fact that there's taxes. And I'm sure that's a key. Um, that was a key element in these negotiations, I'm sure. And as uh, Mark Mathot says from the Wally Mathot show, he loves to talk about taxes, but he's right because taxes are key. And I don't think they're spoken about enough because every market, there's a different tax rate. And I think, especially when you're making plus one million plus dollars, your tax rate is going to be very important to you. So I think, um, I think Ottawa, for um, numerous reasons, like you said, 
um, had to pay a little bit more than people expected. But I think at the end of the day, that would have been the case regardless if it was 8.2 or 7.5 or whatever, because taxes are definitely a key uh, thing to remember in these negotiations. And um, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're, if you're signing for 7.5 here compared in Florida, you're going to make less here. So that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure. And I think the one thing that maybe offsets taxes when that argument's used, at least in Canada, is that they get paid in USD dollars still, which is nice. So, yeah. you know, when you're living in Canada, obviously the dollars, I think, what, what buck 25 right now. So that's a yeah. nice little bonus as well. But yeah, that's for um, sure. The, the other thing, too, I think when it comes to this contract is the Ottawa Senators have sold this guy as the face of the rebuild. Yeah. He was the reason it was okay to trade Carlson. He was the reason it was okay to trade Stone, Duchesne, Dezingle, all those guys, right? And, yeah. and some worked out better than others, but he was the reason. When you pump that tire for three years, you cannot turn around to the player and then say, no, we don't actually value you at this high of a rate. You have sold this dude as the face of the franchise for good reason, too. He is absolutely backed up everything that you have sold with his intangibles on and off the ice. You cannot like you have to factor that in. And I'm not someone who is usually huge on intangibles. This is one of the cases where it's like, yes, I, I get why the team has to do it. You can't parade him around as the face of your franchise and turn around like, no, 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 no. We don't want to pay you like that. So uh, I I think overall, is it a little bit of an overpayment right now? Sure. I I definitely think it is, but given all the factors at play and where this franchise is, I think this is a massive win for the franchise regardless. Um, I think his on ice value. Sure. It's probably not an $8 million player right now, but I think it absolutely can grow into that. I'm really confident in how he's going to develop as he gets older he reminds me, you know, of a Brendan Gallagher out in Montreal who who's not the flat flashiest player, but he just generates a ton of chances and is in your face every night, pissing the other team off. And I, I think the, the sky's the limit for Brady in that uh, capacity. That's for sure. And I know we're going to touch on touch up on this later about attendance, but the signing is also huge for regaining trust. You know, the last five years, it's crazy to think that 2017 was about five years ago now, that that run. it's I was thinking about it earlier today. It's absolutely insane, but that is the case. It was five years ago. And in these five years, the fan base has taken a huge, huge hit in regards to trust uh, between the organization and the, the fan base itself. Now, Shabbat was a big signing. Colin White, you can say, was a big signing. Drake Batherson was a big signing. But like you said, Brady Kachuk has been tabled as the face of the franchise and the future captain so you know let's say ottawa signed to a two or three two or three year deal or punted it down the road and signed to a one-year deal like mark stone a couple years back yeah we're gonna get into attendance later but i can promise you if that was the case attendance would not get any better with this break of chuck signing what this does it firstly rejuvenates the fan base and creates trust again but more importantly you're going to sell tickets you're going to sell faith and you're going to sell season tickets and uh, at the end of the day that's what you need to do in a small market you know i remember a few years back i heard i've been told anyways that you know there was below three thousand season ticket holders now this is a couple of years back i don't know what the numbers are currently i just want to say that but at the end of the day that's not good for an eighteen thousand plus arena to have three thousand guaranteed seats sold every single game when you're in canada ontario 45 minutes from downtown or like 35 minutes usually with traffic from downtown uh, Ottawa. Yeah. This signing is huge because it gives people a reason to come back. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, it's probably, we can get into the attendance now so we don't have to end sure. on such a, a damper note, maybe yeah, with the, end of the podcast, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get into that in a second. And the, the biggest thing I want to say is, uh, you know, this is a, it's a stepping stone, but there's still more this team obviously has to, this is a huge win for the team, a huge win for, you know, 
uh, I'm going to try and avoid saying Melnick, but you know, like this is at it least is. a step in the right, this in the right way. Right. Absolutely. Um, now the key is going to be, okay, great. You've locked up, you know, Batherson, Kachuk, Shabbat, Norris is expected to come. That's the bait. That's the base of what every team does in the NHL. Now you need to go surround them. So you're, the job is not done for Melnick and co, uh, you know, and I, I get it why there's still a little bit of hesit- hesitancy, but absolutely this needs to be viewed as a massive step. And, uh, you know, we'll get into the tendons here. Obviously they didn't sell out their home opener against the Leafs. Uh, there was, I neither think it was the, close. Neither did Toronto do. Neither did Toronto. Toronto did not sell out their home opener either. It's important this to know. is the big point I'll be getting to. Uh, but the, the the more scary one was against Dallas this weekend when it was, I believe, 8,000 fans were in attendance on a Sunday night at 5 p.m. Um, listen, I've tried to stay away mostly from attendance Twitter. Uh, I yeah. find it insufferable. Um, I will say that that low of a number is a little shocking for this early in the year. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know, my general opinion on it is I think some of it, is for sure what we've talked about with this team needing to build back trust over the past five years and even longer than that, if we're being yeah. honest. Um, another team with Alfie, like exactly, it's been a right? while. yes. It's been a while. Uh, I think another big thing about this is COVID is clearly not done. I, I mean, and, and that's just a fact, right? Like, we're not out of the woods yet with COVID. And I think in Ontario, you are still seeing people very fairly being hesitant to get in large gatherings, even if they are double vaccinated. And I'm not going to blame anyone for that. If, if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable, that is totally your choice. If you do, that is totally your choice as well. Right. But, yeah, you know, sure. as we mentioned, the Leafs have not sold out a home game yet this year either. They played the Habs on opening night. Yep. They also didn't sell against the uh, senators and they didn't sell out against the Rangers the other night either. Now they had more than nine, 8,000 people at 9,000 sure. people, yeah. but Again, like even last night, they announced 18,000 for the Leafs. It looked like 15 and a half, maybe 16, yeah. which is, I, to me, that just signals that COVID is not out of everyone's mind and for a very fair reason. And I think that is a huge reason why we're seeing a lack of uh, um, fans in Ottawa because, you know, I, again, I, I want it to be more than 8,000. I think there are other factors at play, but to me, the, everyone getting all worried, like, I just, I I don't know what to expect, right? Like, I I don't think it was reasonable to expect 19,000 filling the barn every night. No, for sure not. I think if you get between 13 and 15,000 a game, that's, that's a win for the Sanders. Um, Regardless of what you think about attendance, if it should be sold out every game, that's just not going to happen for multiple reasons. The first one, like you said, there's a lot of hesitancy to go back to big crowds. Literally for the first time in two years. In the last couple of weeks, fans have been allowed to enter buildings with 18 plus thousand. So yeah, there's going to be some hesitancy for sure. On top of that, you're, we're also forgetting the fact that this is a family sport, a family sporting event, all right? And this pandemic has not only hit people, you know, uh, health-wise, medically, you know, unfortunately too many people have passed away because of this, but more importantly, uh, not more importantly anyways, but another reason anyways, it's because the medical, uh, the, the financials, that people are going through because of COVID. Look, millions and millions of families are struggling right now to get by paying their rent, let alone go to a hockey game. When you got $30, uh, you know, um, parking fees, you got the ticket prices themselves are very well. They're very reasonable. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go after the ticket prices. Those are reasonable for NHL hockey, but the the parking you want to incentivize people to come can't charge $30 for people to park. That's more than the ticket itself. But at the end of the day, you have all these small businesses closing. You have all these families that haven't been working for years. People have priorities and family comes first. Food on the table comes first, paying your rent, paying your bills, paying your mortgage. That has to come first. So yeah, I think of course, 
the hesitancy to go back to games because of COVID itself. It's definitely prevalent and makes sense. But we also are forgetting the fact that people don't exactly have as much cash as they used to have. You tie that into the fact that the arena is in down, not downtown, it's in Canada. You tie that into the fact that, you know, Ottawa has a very low season ticket base and they rely a lot on the walk-up crowd. You tie all that in together, plus the, the organizational instability up until two weeks ago or like until the last week, pardon me, because of Brady Kachuk signing that shows more stability. It's good to take time. It's good to take time for fans to come back for all those reasons. I think that COVID hesitancy will be there for at least the whole season. I'm going to be very honest with you. I think there's going to be a big portion of people. I think at the end of the season, we're going to see better crowds, especially if we're back in the playoff race. But, you know, if we're expecting sold-out crowds, unless it's the playoffs, I'd be shocked. I think people are going to be very hesitant, especially the first few months to go back. I think people are going to be very wary about spending, you know, we're talking $70 for a ticket plus parking for one person, added concessions and two other two or three other people, you know, children, wife, husband, whatever, you know, it's, there's a lot of factors into play here. I think things will get better, but at the end of the day, when you have a low season ticket base and when you, when you're relying on your attendance being high based off of the walk-up crowd, this is what's going to happen when you're in the middle of a pandemic and financials are very short for people. Yeah, it's just common sense, you know, for a yeah. lot of people, if they haven't been able to work or, or work to the degree that they were before, your disposable income is naturally going to be less. And exactly. yeah, like for a family, again, like it's a, you you mentioned the ticket prices are cheap, like yeah. they're great, but nothing, nothing against the ticket prices. Whatsoever. If you've got if you've got a family of four, the cheapest tickets are getting 25, 30 bucks. There's, you know, a hundred bucks, we'll say. But yeah, then you got parking, you got food, you're probably going to get a drink or something. $300 while you're there. a night. Exactly. It adds up to 5,300. And it's one of those things where in the grand scheme of things, maybe when it's normal, you can do that. But if you, again, like if you don't have that disposable income right now, which some people don't, and that's totally fair, then you're going to stay home and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, So I I do think I'm with you. I think that the crowds will get bigger as the season goes on. Um, I'm not really expecting it to be just an absolute rocking barn every night uh, (laughs) sold out or anything. Um, But, you know, I I definitely do think that they're going to get into the double digits again. And I think, you know, to tie in uh, Derek Lee had a great question where he said, what's up with capacity? Will fans ever return in numbers with the current ownership? Other teams not also not selling out is the pandemic playing a role. I think we touched on most of that, except for the ownership. And and to me, I do think I think people will come back, even with Melnick as the owner. I think there's a fair amount that will be hesitant. But winning winning cures all. Let's be honest. Like, I think. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, if this team invests in their core and this team gets better and starts winning, fans will come back. You're going to get those walk-ins again. I'm going to keep on talking about season tickets though. We can talk about all we want about this and that. Are we going to get up to 13, 15,000, blah, 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 blah. If you don't fix your season ticket base, you do not fix your business relations with the local business uh, owners uh, in citywide uh, around Ottawa. You're not going to sell out every single game. It's going to be very difficult to do that. When you don't have corporate sponsors like you used to, especially the uh, the federal government not being able to now um, purchase season tickets, that's a, that's that's also a big factor to why attendance has decreased the last few years. Um, but at the end of the day, when you have that torn, and I want to really highlight this, that torn relationship between corporations and business owners in Ottawa with the organization, attendance will go up, yes. But will it go back to rocking every single night like it was in the mid-2000s? Not at this current juncture in time. They have to fix those relationships with the local businesses. Otherwise, all those boxes are going to be empty. 
although uh, and the season ticket base itself will be very, very low. So sure, I think most people that used to go to games will want to go back to games, but that's like at the most five games. So like what are we, you know you, you see what I'm saying here? If you want to have long-term sustainability, long-term results and attendance, you have to go and look at Toronto, you have to look at Montreal, you have to look with these Vancouver. These cities, now, of course, we're not Vancouver, we're not Montreal, we're not Toronto. But at the end of the day, they have incredible demand and partnerships with their local community business owners and with their fan base. That's what Ottawa needs to do. They need to reclaim and rebuild that relationship with the businesses. Because if you don't have that relationship with local business, you're not going to succeed with whatever sport or league you're in. But more importantly, they need to go out and push more advertisements citywide. Like, when's the last time you've seen an auto sander billboard anywhere. When, when's the last time you saw a sander ad on a bus? When's the last time you saw the sanders uh, advertising in a bus stop or anywhere? You know, you see red blacks all the time. You see fury or athletic, whatever the city, the city's soccer team is now. I forget Pardon me. Shout out to them. I, 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 sorry, I forgot, forgot the name, but at the end of the day, the team is not advertising. So if you're not advertising, there's clearly no effort and there's no effort. This is what's going to happen when there's no effort, low attendance and embarrassing numbers. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I, I don't need to go too much further on this. I, I hate attendance talk, but I agree. Cause I think it, it, I can just say one more thing. I've seen people talk about Ottawa relocating, get that BS out of here. Ottawa's yeah. not going anywhere. We're the, we're a hockey team in the nation's capital. You think Gary Bettman's letting that leave? Come on now. Not a chance. Not yeah, right now. It, and all you have to do is look online to see the absolute passionate fan base that is Ottawa Senators fans. It's everywhere on every social media site. Um, um, you know, the, the last thing I'll say when it comes to attendance, Twitter is uh, I don't really care what your anyone's opinion is, but let's not shame the other side either. If, if you Agreed. don't want to if you don't want to go to games, that's totally fine. That's your opinion. Don't judge people for going to games. It goes the exact same way. If you want to go to the games, support the team and everything. That is totally cool, but don't shame people because they don't want to spend their money in that place, right? It's their, you know, it's their decision where they spend that money. So it, just be respectful to both sides. And I think that's generally just a common sense thing anyways. But Amen. It, it yeah. needs to be said sometimes, right? Unfortunately, so. yeah. Like, that's why I, I like to stay away from this attendance Twitter and all that, because such such stupidity and toxicity about, you know, how to be a fan, regardless of what side you're on, Melnick, anti-Melnick attendance, not going to games. I can give less of a damn. Be a fan however you want to be a fan. That's what being a fan is about. If you don't if you don't want to go to a game, okay. You don't need to tell me firstly, but secondly, I don't need somebody else to tell me why that's a problem. Because at the end of the day, it's up to the organization to allure fans to come to games. We're not supposed, we're not, you know, bound to this team. We don't have to go to games. We, we're supposed to choose to go to games and it's our choice, but what we do as fans, and I think all this talk and this toxicity around the situation is, uh, you do the right thing, Alex, staying away from me because it's, it's such stupidity. So let's, stupid. get let's get something more fun. Shall we? Oh yeah. Hell yeah. We have actual Ottawa Senator games to talk about and oh. even better. Two of them were against a Canadian team. One was against a team, not in Canada for the first time <laughs> since March, 2020. I want to yeah. say, Yep. Uh, we'll break down every all three games. We'll go through what we've liked, disliked, uh, liked from certain players. Uh, we'll start with their uh, home opener, obviously, on the Thursday night against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yep. Ottawa Senators come storming out of the gate with a three-goal lead in the first period. Uh, let it slip a little bit, but hang on for that 3-2 win. Uh, they then go on Saturday. They go into Toronto, put up a pretty good fight. 
Uh, but Toronto takes that one three, one. And then obviously Saturday game two of a back-to-back, uh, they play pretty well against the stars and take two points. So uh, four out of six points to start the year. I, I think that is about as good as anyone can ask for, uh, you know, to, to get started here. Um, what has been your thoughts early on in the first three games? Well, four points out of six without Brady Kachuk is fantastic, especially against a team like Dallas, who was in the cup final a couple years back, and a team like Toronto, who we all know are pretenders, but they like to consider themselves contenders. Now, that first game, I was lucky enough to be at the home opener. Electric crowd, electric energy in there, which is absolutely amazing. Felt like a playoff game. Felt like I was back in the, in the stance of the CTC in 2017 during that incredible run. It was a fantastic uh, atmosphere there. Now, to the actual game itself, I mentioned this in my uh, game recap video on Sense Talk on YouTube that uh, the power play was fantastic in that first game. Tyler Ennis getting that goal, just the cycling abilities, feeding the puck to Josh Norris and his patented one-timer spot. That power play really impressed me in that first game. What didn't impress me was the defense, especially with the slot uh, net front area. Uh, we've seen it every single game this year. There's been a goal allowed or two, two defensemen and a center get mixed up, two of them fall out behind the net. One gets kind of tied up with somebody and then leave somebody wide open in front of the net. They get a one-timer goal to get that goal there. So, you know, Ottawa in that first game, they came off hot and started running right away in that first period with those three goals. Formington with that beautiful goal with the last second in the first was un- un- unbelievable shot there. Saw that right on. I-, I was lucky enough to be in the 300s right where Formington was. Got the perfect angle. But at the end of the day, Ottawa really needs to clean up their defensive zone. Um, you know, just you can't leave the front of the net open on repeat. It's been three games in a row this has happened. Um, so that's my critique anyways. Um, they got to clear the front of the net much better. I, it's still early in the season, so I don't want to be overtly critical. Um, but the, the really the ongoing positive from these three games, it's a fact. Maybe in game two, the team kind of deteriorated. They weren't playing too well. Um but it makes sense. They're in Toronto. They're away. First away game in a very long time. That's going to happen. They still stuck in it. And it was a close game there still. But what we saw in game number one against Toronto and in game number three against Dallas, both at both at home, was the fact that maybe this is a home thing. I don't know. But the forward lines, all four of them were rolling. Logan Shaw, uh, Zach Sanford, uh, even um, you know Parker Kelly. That line was great. You know, Nick Paul. Shane Pinto, Connor Brown, they're creating great chemistry, creating a lot of good chances with one another. That third line of Turney, Formington, and Ennis, you know, Turney is one of the leading goal scorers in the National Hockey League right now. And then that first line of Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, and Tim Stutzla. Well, listen, we've seen why Tim Stutzla was drafted third overall the last few games. This guy, every single game, uh, has created chances that, frankly, could all be considered potential goal of the year candidates if the puck went in the back of the net. So those will start to go in, but the fact that he's creating those chances at 19 is very, very encouraging. Now, Josh Norris, you know, he got that goal against Toronto and that loss on Saturday, and he's the number one center on this team by far. But what I love about Josh Norris's game is he makes everything look simple and more importantly, uh, displays a very well-structured game. You know, you don't have him out of position often. You don't have him flying around. He's always just in the right place at the right time. Very smart with the puck. And that's very evident on the power play too. I think that's why they really pushed the puck to him on the power play because he kind of knows what to do there. Then of course, Drake Batherson, you know, he's got some nifty hands, man. He's, he's been really dishing out the puck nice the last few games. So he hasn't really uh, contributed too much offensively, unfortunately, but those goals will come, especially with Brady Kachuk coming back. So overall, the first game, the third game, offense was rolling really well. The goaltending, Forsberg, fantastic in that first game. Gustafson, even better in that third game. And uh, overall, 
Uh, the only thing Ottawa really needs to clean up, not shocking, is their defense and the defensive lapses in the offensive zone. So, uh, yeah, I think great start for Ottawa. And, um, you know, with Brady Kachuk coming back into the fold, things are only going to get better, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you touch on a lot of things there. So I, yeah, I don't even sorry. know where I want to start. No, it's all good. <laughs> I, I don't even know where I want to start uh, diving in. There's been a couple of things that have really caught my eye. Uh, yeah. I think first, as you, you touched on, it was the bottom six, just how electric they've been. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I knew I wasn't worried about Ottawa's depth, but I didn't think it was like the overpowering part of their team by any means. And and through three games here, it's been one of the most impressive things to me. Uh, how well Tyler Ennis has slotted right back into this lineup and just been a dominant force. And you mentioned like Chris Tierney, I actively wanted him healthy scratch. He's been one of their best forwards to three games. Three goals with not a single shot actually taken is, is something I don't think that'll quite keep up. But, you know, credit to him. Even when he's not scoring, he's putting himself, A, in the places to get these bounces, but B, he's just looking good, you know, uh, in all three zones of the ice right now. He looks way more comfortable. Um, obviously, you know, Nick Paul, I, I think that's not a secret. He, Everyone loves him. He's the perfect third-line guy yeah. kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, like, as you said, you know, there, I thought there was a lot of uh, – people really freaking out about Sanford in the preseason. I was on record saying I didn't watch much of the preseason because I don't care about it. Uh, and, and that's kind of why, you know, like I, I just think that it's just guys trying to, you know, tune up and get back into playing shape. And, and I've liked, you know, what I've seen from Sanford. I mean, I don't think it's been like off the charts or anything, but as a fourth line left winger, that is all you can really ask for, for what he's given you. And, and Parker Kelly's been the big one. Like I, yeah, he's just been a wrecking ball wherever he's went. I'm, I'm disappointed that he is out of the lineup right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Brady's obviously back in, which is a huge plus, but I would have rather see, I think, Shaw out and, and Kelly in. But, um, you know, we'll see how the lines play. Obviously, they don't play until Thursday against San Jose and then Saturday against the Rangers. So, you know, he, he could absolutely will draw back in soon. Um, but, yeah, I think right now, like, my biggest shock has just been – how good the bottom six has been in terms of, you know, really not, not keeping them afloat, but I, I thought the first night um, I, I didn't think they played horrible, but I didn't think the top guys at five on five were going all that well. I uh, like, um, you know, and, and part of that is a credit to how good Toronto is too. Right. Obviously William Nylander is an amazing player and uh, you know, they're, they're really mad at him right now, but Mitch Marner is still a very solid player. Um, you know, so your Stutzlas and Norris's and Bathersons, they're not always going to get, their chances. Sometimes they're going to have to just play the other lines to even, yeah. which is exactly what they did in game one in Toronto. And the depth came alive and, and really helped Ottawa out. And that was a massive part of the game. And, and that is just something, if that can continue, Ottawa is going to be looking really good because this top six is only going to continue to grow. It's only going to continue to get better. And, and if they have the depth outplaying other teams depth as well, man, look out because the, the sky's the limit for this offense then. How good is how good has Shane Pinto been so far? Eh? This kid, I'm telling you, man, he hasn't really. It's still three games in, so let's 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 just remember that. But he still hasn't really gotten on the score sheet too much. But at, at the end of the day, just look at his look at his defense. Look at his defense game in and game out. The back checks, the 200 foot game he plays. This kid is something special. He is facing off against like a John Tavares, all right? A John Tavares, all right? He is maybe 15 games into his National League career, and he's winning those face-offs. He's winning those key battles along the boards, and he has great chemistry already with Connor Brown and Nick Paul. So I think if you're a Sens fan, sure. You know, and I'll ask you this, Alex. I'm going to switch the script a bit. I'll, I'll see how you – sorry, sorry to, be, to do that, but I, I'm wondering what you think. Do you think this team is a playoff team? Because I'll be honest, I think this team 
you know, you have those teams that are sort of in the conversation, but never really in the conversation, like sort of like the Flyers a few years back where they're like five to 10 points to have a playoff spot. They're still in the conversation, but they're out of it. I think that's where Ottawa will be uh, mediocre, basically a little above mediocre. Hopefully I think that's a reasonable expectation for most, uh, for most sense fans, because Come on. Yeah. We didn't really add much this offseason. It's kind of hard to expect playoffs. Next year, I think we should expect playoffs, though. Um, but what do you think, Alex? Yeah, I'm about at the same same place as you. I think this is a great division. You know, it's really yeah. unf- I think if this was the Canadian division last year, I would probably have Ottawa right on that bubble as a Fair. playoff team, probably. I'd probably but, have them as a playoff team, to be honest. Exactly. But, you know, with Tampa, Florida, and, you know, say what you want about Toronto, they're a good regular season team. They yes. absolutely choke in the playoffs, <laughs> which is always hilarious. But Love it. they they make yep. it there year after year for six years straight now or whatever, right? So, um, and then, you know, Boston as well. I know, like, Boston's still got a very, very good team. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't think they're quite there yet, but... Um, you know, that being said, it's it, um, the, the one case of optimism I definitely have about this team is um, while they didn't add anything. And I think it was, you know, I've said a couple of times it's disappointing considering how much they hyped it up. Um, the, the good yeah. thing this team has going for it is the improvement doesn't always need to come from the outside right now with this core. Josh Norris could get better. Drake Batherson, absolutely. Brady Kachuk, we've already talked, could get better. Stutzel is going to get better. Exactly, right? Um, So, you know, there's so many, like the core of this team is so young that I think if they were to make the playoffs, they were A, they're going to need goaltending like they've got, and we'll get into that in a second as well. So they're really going to need some great goaltending all year, but B, those young guys are all really going to have to step up and absolutely drive the bus, which um, they're starting to do already, but it's going to have to be to like, a very strong degree because I don't think, you know, as much as I praise the bottom six, I don't think the bottom six is going to carry you through a ton of games this year. I, I think they'll be hope able to not play. anyways. Right? You, you and, hope and your that's top not, guys are going to do that, right? Exactly. That's not how many teams are built and there's no yeah. issue, right? You want your bottom six to kind of just play to even and chip in a couple goals when they can here and there. But, you know, the Knights, they're not going, the big boys have to get going and, um, I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible. I, I like the, what they have up front, but that's going to be where the growth really has to come. If Ottawa wants to take that jump from, you know, yeah. Fringe like 10th overall pick to in the playoffs, right on yeah. that bubble, you know? And, um, what's nice about it is that, you know, after these three games, I've really come out of the team. I'm like, I'm excited for this season. Like, I don't Likewise. think they're going to make the playoffs, but I'm genuinely excited to sit down and watch this team every year, uh, every night, sorry. And even last year, I don't think that was the case every night. You know, obviously they started two and 10, just an absolutely brutal start to the season. Um, and, you know, by the end of the year, it was more fun to watch for sure. But like, this is the most excited I've definitely been about a team since 2017, early 2018 before the collapse. And, and I, I think that goes a long way, you know, that, that says a lot. I think, uh, listen, uh, for the last eight years, I've been doing videos after every single Sens game. And let me tell you, <laughs> those first 12 games last year, oh, my God, man. You know, there's, there's, I love doing these videos because I, I, I love, I love interacting with the fans and all that, but, and the support I get. But my God, there, if there was any time I wanted to stop making videos, it was the beginning of last year. There, there, I've never seen such a terrible start out of the gates for a team. That does make sense. They didn't get that. No, uh, they didn't get to play in the playoffs. They haven't played in almost a year. They didn't get a preseason. It makes sense when you look back at it. But as a Sens fan, just during that time, I, I don't, I don't want to ever have to go through that BS again. And I don't think we're going to have to go through that BS again for a very long time because, like you said, very well said, this core is only going to get better uh, as they age. And I think this year it's just going to be a next step. Like I was mentioning it in my 
forward season preview where t- I've seen people talking about Tim Stutzla getting 30 goals this year, breaking out. Listen, you know what I consider a breakout for Tim Stutzla? 45 to 50 points. If you can get 45 to 50 points, that shows progression in the sophomore year. And that's all you want to see uh, from a forward. Progression. I'm not, I don't need him to go off because I don't expect him to go off. He's still 19 years old playing in the National Hockey League full of grown men, all right? Give this kid some time. Give him two years. In the next two years, I'm telling you, two years from now, we can be talking about 30 goals because I think he'll be there already. But I think this year we should be, we should expect 20 goals, 50 points. I think that makes the most sense, like something around there. Sort of like what we saw with Connor Brown, what he was projected to get in a full 82 game last year, is what we would probably or should probably see a little from Stutzla. Um, so overall, yeah, this core, this whole core is fantastic. And, you know, we, we, we've spoken about the defense too, and you know how it's a little bit iffy, right? But you got JBD. But Lassie Thompson, of course, Jake Sanderson, in my opinion, one of the best defensive prospects in the entire National Hockey League. So, yeah, you know, we started off bad in the past, especially last year. The future is really, really bright, and I'm fired up to, you know, to be here with you talking about it and uh, for the next few years, too, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing people, you know, need to remember as as the year goes on here is it's still, much like last year, it's more about process than results. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm much more worried about the process. Like if guys like Kachuk and Stutzel look like they are creating the chances, even if they're not all going in at the rate you want them to be, as long as they're creating. And so far through three games, that's what I've seen, especially with someone like Stutzla, is he's been all over the place. The fact that he has not been able to pot two, three, four goals already, I think. Yeah, right. Like it's just been he's had so many great chances. And it's frustrating that they haven't gone in, but I'm happy that those are happening because, you know, having the chances them not going in is way better than just a couple fluke goals that randomly tip off a skate or something like that, right? Even though it shows us a zero versus a two on the stat sheet, to me, this year is still about process, not all about results. Obviously, you want the results to be there as well. You don't want to be dead last or anything. I mean, other than getting that shame right, but but then from from a long term standpoint, <laughs> like you you want the process to be right, and that's what's going to be important and and important to remember too, because again, this is such an exciting team. Everyone's going to want them to do as good as they can, and that is great. But there's going to be some nights where they it's still a young team; they're just not going to have it, and we're just going to have to be okay with that, you know, as long as it doesn't happen night after night. I think uh, as Sens fans, we also need to understand and appreciate the fact that we do want. Eric Condra syndrome. I love Eric Condra. Shout out Eric Condra, but we don't Eric Condra syndrome to go over the entire um, Sanders organization because listen, Eric Condra was exactly what Tim Stutzler is doing right now. He created so many chances, but he never buried them. The difference was, of course, Tim Stutzler is 19 and Eric Condra was sort of a, uh, you know, solidified National Hockey League player. So you don't want Eric Condra to kind of spew out into you know the rest of the organization just like we've seen with like Colin Greening for example in the past so after that great double overtime goal against Pittsburgh I'm sure you remember that that was a fantastic goal from Colin Greening but with Tim Stutzler you're absolutely right it's all about the process not the results but it is important to note you still need to get results because this is the National Hockey League so you still need to get those results you still need to see that progression because at the end of the day those chances are just chances. We need results from those chances too. Not seeing on every single one, but you can generate as many chances as you want. But if they're not going in, what good does that do for the team? Because at, at the end of the day, the scoreboard remains the same with or without that chance. So um, yeah, you don't have to pot every single goal in, but I think it's important. I think I, I've seen a lot of sense fans, not you specifically, but I've seen a lot of sense fans on Twitter saying this. Sure, results are important. The process is more important. 
But at the end of the day, there's a good, we need to find that balance where you're getting those chances and you're putting some, not all, but some of them in. And I, I have no worry with Tim Stutzla that he's going to start putting those in because this kid is such, I mean, such a talent. And Ottawa hasn't had a talent like that in the forward core since I would argue Jason Spezza or like Alfie, I guess. Like it's 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 an exceptional talent. So uh, I can't wait to see what uh, what this kid does in, this future, in the future of his career. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's get to the... The biggest part, in my opinion, of why they have four or six points and almost stole another point on Saturday night, yeah. uh, and that's been the goaltending. And it hasn't been with their $6 million man, Matt Murray. It's been Anton Forsberg and uh, Phil Gustafson. Forsberg started both games against Toronto, looked absolutely lights out in both, and then Gustafson looked great against Dallas the other night too. Um, this is going to be the biggest story of the year for me is do they force Murray, you know, where – like. Where is Murray? Because obviously the pay structure and how they've set this up is Murray is the starter. Forsberg's the backup. Gustafson is going to be in the HL. They want him getting starts. I've, I've said that I think Gustafson should be in the NHL. I think he's NHL ready. I think he showed that again on Sunday. I don't think it matters. I think once Murray's ready, he's going to be down and that's that. But to me, the big question is going to be if Murray struggles to start this year and I hope he doesn't, but if he does, does he lose some starts? Because the way for Forsberg shocked me. I will be fully honest. I did not even understand why he was starting Thursday. I said, just start Gustafson because Forsberg is clearly not in your long-term plans. I still think that's true. Two games doesn't change my mind on that, but Forsberg played out of his mind. He won um, that game for us. Yeah. Like in that second period when Toronto and then early third period as well, when that's Toronto true. turned that, yeah, turned the jets yeah. on there. Oh my God, he made some 10 bad. And even Saturday night in that second period, Toronto shot Ottawa, I think, in the first 10 minutes. Like we played five, terrible. Man. Yeah, we played like terrible, they, like, they fell asleep for about 10 minutes and he just kept them in the game. Um, so I, I'm gonna be really curious to see a can Forsberg play? Obviously, not quite at that level. I don't know what his save percentage is, but I bet you it's close to like a 940. You're not gonna expect that at all. Um, no. but if he is playing at a solid level and Murray comes back into this lineup and, and um, you know, isn't at the same level, I'm going to be really curious to see what they do. 935, uh, which again, is an insane save percentage. Um, But I'm going to be really, yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see how they deploy Matt Murray this year. Um, You know, if he, if he looks comfortable, if he's given them average goaltending, I think he gets a bulk of the starts, but you know, what happens if it starts to waver? Is he going to get the bulk of the starts? Is Forsberg going to get a couple in a row? I'm really curious to see how this goaltending situation plays out as the year rolls on. I think what's most impressive about Philip Gustafson is for such a young goaltender and he's, listen, he's been around for a little bit. We know that we traded for him a few years back for Derek Burchard, steal by Pierre Dorian, shout out Pierre Dorian. But what we've seen with Philip Gustafson, it's not something you see often with young goaltenders. And it's the fact that he looks so positionally sound and to- so technically sound at such a young age. You know, when a goaltender doesn't, you know, uh, make every save look difficult and every save, every single save that Philip Gustafson has looks very easy, calm, cool, collected. That means you have a, a future, in my opinion, a future starter, or even at the very most, a star in the making. Because if you're at such a young age, playing in the National Hockey League, not the AHL, not any other league, the top league in the world, the National Hockey League, and you you turn away 32 shots and 30, uh, 34, on 34 shots, you turn away 32 of them in calm, cool, collected way. Listen, that is great news if you're a Sens fan, because if a goalie can do his business and you don't really notice the goalie making big stops, that's probably 
for the better because that means they're positionally sound. They're swallowing up the rebounds. They're there to make the save before having to sprawl like a Dominic Hasek. And um, at a young age, because he still needs development, I think. I, I think he's a National Hockey League goaltender right now, too. But with how skilled he is, more seasoning in the AHL during a season where we probably won't make the playoffs will not hurt anyone. If he's not in the NHL next year, I'd be very upset because, like you said, and I'll agree, he's definitely ready for the National Hockey League, but more seasoning won't hurt. But I think at the end of the day with Philip Gustafson, what you're seeing right now is a kid that has the tools to be a star. And now let's see how he develops into being that potential star. He's definitely uh, has the caliber of talent to do it. You know, he was drafted early in the second round by Pittsburgh. Um, one silver was Sweden at the world juniors, but best goaltender of the year, I think at the world juniors that year too, this guy clearly has skill and me saying that he potentially might be a star goaltender in the league. I don't really think it's out of the realm of possibility or out of left field because he has that pedigree and we've seen it in very limited, of course, but we've seen it on the tape where since the first start of his career to now, I think like the 10th or 11th of his career, I can't really bring up one example where Philip Gustafson played a game and looked shaky out of position and not calm, cool and collected. That's very good omen for the rest of rest of his career. Now, Anton Forsberg, yeah, I agree. I, I think he's your prototypical backup. He could start 20 to 30 games, still use some points like he has done the last couple of games. But at the end of the day, you know, Anton Forsberg is just that. He's a backup. He's not going to be the starter of this team. This could be either Philip Gustafson or uh, Matt Murray, of course. Hopefully Matt Murray comes back and, uh, you know, performs like he's being paid to do. I think he will. But uh, Anton Forsberg, like you said, he's not long-term. But once again, if you need a stopgap guy, Forsberg's your guy. So I think shout-out to Forsberg, you know, fantastic first game against uh, Toronto. And Matt Murray, you know, I, I keep on mentioning this. I see a lot of slander about Matt Murray on the timeline on Twitter and everything in my comment section on YouTube. Here's the thing. When they switched goaltending coaches and went from Pierre Gru to Zach Burke, um, in those five games before he got injured at the end of last season, in that short-term, in that short-term COVID season, uh, he played in five games, had like a 9, 20, 9, 38 percentage, had like a below 2.2 or 2.5 goals against average. And he, he got two shutouts and was like perfect in those five games. So uh, we've seen in the preseason too, he looks immensely better with the new coach, Zach Burke. So let's give the kid, let's give, let's give this guy a shot, man. You know, I, I see a lot of people writing him off before he's even started a game this season. I think he's going to have a really good year. I think the coaching, the, the change of coaching is exactly what he needed. Now, will he fix that glove hand side? Cause that's where he keeps on getting beat. Who knows? But at the end of the day, I think we're going to see a much better, uh, uh, Matt Murray and net for Ottawa it just depends on when not if in my opinion because like like you know it's, he's he's hurt or he's sick he's just needs to find a way to stay in the lineup and I think if he does I think we're uh, since fans are gonna be pleasantly surprised with uh, how he performs what about you Alex how are you feeling with the three goalies yeah I, I think I, I would like to personally see Gustafson in more but I get like it's not a big deal I don't think I don't think there's such thing as too much AHL play, yeah. you know, if yeah. that makes sense. I, I think you can absolutely rush a guy. I don't think they're there with Gus. I think he's clearly ready, but at the same time, if you're not ready for him up there, it's not a big deal. Um, and, and, you know, and to me, that's more just, I wouldn't have signed Forsberg personally this off season, but I also, um, I also don't understand like shout out Matt Murray, you know, I'm sure he's a great guy and everything, but it never really understood. I never really understood the deal itself. Second round and John Gruden steal. By Ottawa. When you get a goalie like Matt Murray, you have to make that move. But then to sign him to a four-year deal at $6.5 million with all the goaltending prospects we have in the system and the fact that we literally traded up that year or like the year prior for Matt Sogard, who's a beauty. 
a little confusing, right? But you know, yeah, yeah, I, like, you know I, I mean? don't know. I, I was a critic of the deal from the time it happened, and I get it. You have to pay the price for a younger guy who's won two cups. But I think anyone who looked objectively on Matt Murray goes, okay, yes, he clearly has the high end talent there somewhere, but it hasn't been there for two years because he well, was he was not good in Pittsburgh for his final two years. And very not. It's sorry, it's more about term. It's more about term. Yes, like, for sure. Four years like, makes no sense. Exactly right, and especially off of what he would have, I would much rather see them give him a one year prove it kind of deal, maybe a two year deal if you, you really need it. I know that, yeah, that would have been walking him close to free agency. But again, like I just think this team needs to stop being so scared about losing every damn player because if you just invest in your team, people will want to be here, right? And that's that's the biggest thing. But yeah, for yeah. this season, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for Matt Murray is going to be health. I think, um, uh, regardless of how he plays, he needs to be able to stay in the lineup for a bunch yeah. of games in a row to show at least what he has. Because even last year, he was just in and out so often and he, he didn't look comfortable at times, but then he was like, he was playing through an injury or whatever. And then he went down and then he came back in, obviously had those great five games to end the year, but it was five games. So it's like, well, how much of a sample can you take? The biggest thing this year for the team, for sure, but him as well is show what you have over an extended period of time. You know, we need more than just four or five game sample here, four or five game sample. We need an extended period and, and no starter is going to be playing 60 games, but they need, 42, Not this NHL, no. no, 42 to 46 games minimum of Matt Murray this year to at least evaluate what they have, in my opinion. And, and that, that'll definitely be something that I track going forward, just, you know, as the season goes on here. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you're right on the money there. And I think uh, I'm glad we both agree on that. If you would ask me five years ago, five to seven years ago, you're seeing goaltenders back then start 60 plus games. But we've seen it a lot recently, a lot of different styles in the National Hockey League especially when it comes to goaltending, you're seeing a lot more hybrid. Look at Toronto down the road, for example, Peter Morazic and Jack Campbell. You, I promise you would not have seen that 10 years ago in the National Hockey League. Now you are because the cap, firstly, is a big factor because these players are demanding a lot of money, which makes sense considering it's a billion-dollar industry. Get your money, of course. Secure the bag. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's interesting to see how goaltending has evolved in the National Hockey League from you need that number one starter and a mediocre backup too. We need two goalies that can start right now. And mm-hmm. I think um, I think Ottawa has it with Gustafson and Murray. And hey, you know what? Forsberg, I don't want to put too much slander on this guy's name. He kind of earns uh, he earns the right to be in this conversation too, at least for short, short-term starts because, hey, he's the reason Ottawa was close in two games against one of the best teams in our division. So Ottawa, I think it's going to be okay in goaltending. It looks much solid, much more solid anyways compared to last year. But at the end of the day, I just love talking about goalies and I love talking about the way the league has developed with goalies because, yeah, you know, I think it's always been the backup position has always been the most valuable, in my opinion, in the National Hockey League, even 10 years ago. This is because your starter goals goes down. No one's going to trade you a starter for cheap. You're not going to sign one on free agency and it's all up to your backup. Now, with that's less of a factor now because most teams actually have a backup who can start too. Look at Jake Allen as well in Montreal with Carey Price uh, out right now for personal reasons. It's, every single team has that backup, or most anyways, has that backup that can start. And I always, I always love talking about that. I'm glad you brought something like that up because, uh, yeah, it's always something interesting to talk about and uh, it really shows how the NHL is developing into a more uh, – it's, it's a different game than it was 10 years ago, I'll say that. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the most obvious areas that sports yeah. science has really affected the game is, you know, the data shows when guys play 60, 65 games, they're just way too fatigued to yeah. be effective in playoffs, right? And, exactly. um, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, it was really a market inefficiency to have that. Uh, I think the best case is Boston. Uh, you know, they had for years, they had that Raskolactan yeah. that was just so good because Rask was a top 10 starter himself, but he only ever had to play 48 games in a season because uh, Halak was always good enough behind him to take the other 35 or so. Yeah. And then Halak, or sorry, Tuka Rask was always full full health come playoff time. And we saw it year after year where it uh, really helped. And, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's an absolute common trend. I think one of the few that has bucked it is obviously Vasilevsky over the past couple of years. That dude is just a machine um, <laughs> on back-to-back cups where he's played yeah. every minute of it. But, yeah. you know, before that, we had... Bennington came in halfway through the year, was well-rested for most of the year. Um, when the Caps won the Cup, Holtby wasn't the starter to start playoffs. Like, people seem to forget that it Grubauer, was um, – yeah. yeah, it was Grubauer. And then he got pulled in game three, and Holtby took from there. But Holtby was rested. So uh, it's definitely one of those things where it's very fascinating to see how uh, things have changed over, over the years. That's for sure. I think it's also important to note that I think Vancouver really started this trend with Luongo and Schneider back in the day. You know, I remember a lot of people, including myself – Myself included. We're like, why? Why do you got two starters on your your goaltending town? What the hell? You're just wasting money. You're waste, wasting talent. You're it makes no sense, right? Trade that asset and get some more value back. But clearly, we're fans for a reason, and they're GMs for a reason because that sort of started this trend of two hybrid goaltenders. So you know, I think this is a conversation we could have all day because I think goaltending, firstly. Love goaltending. You got the helmet, you got the pads, you got everything. There's so much style in it, but also this the craft itself uh, to be a goaltender and the the management it takes to have effective goaltending. It's just such an interesting field uh, in hockey. It's sort of like a pitcher in baseball. It's it's kind of a wild card. You don't know where you're going to go with the guy because one place, look at Craig Anderson. One place, like in Chicago, he wasn't great. Colorado wasn't the best. Comes to Ottawa, becomes the best goalie in franchise history. You just never know with these goalies and. Uh, I love talking goalies. So next time I hop up, hop on here, we'll have to have a maybe just a goalie conversation the whole time. But uh, I don't want to keep you for too long on that. But uh, yeah, I love love talking goalies, and uh, it's just really interesting to, to think and look back on. Absolutely, there's always no shortage to talk about. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today. I think we'll get out of there. Uh, Doc touched on a bunch of great uh, conversations. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Well, firstly, Alex, thank you so much for having me here. You know, I've been following you and your work for a very long time, and uh, it's, it's honestly a pleasure to be back on here for a second time. Uh, now, if you ever want to watch my stuff, go on to YouTube, uh, look up Sense Talk, uh, youtube.com slash Sense Talk. You'll be able to find us too. Um, you know, we post game recaps after every single Sense game where I analyze the game, give my game notes, you know, the whole shebang. If you want to have good, insightful analysis on your auto standards, go to Sense Talk on YouTube. You know, uh, every single game we, we have a video, uh, every single news report, anything. We also have rumor stuff, you know, back in the in the summer when we were contemplating whether or not Ottawa would move to Gatineau thanks to Eugene Melnick, the owner, saying that might happen. I made a video about that. So if you want some content like that to inform you and be a little entertaining, check us out there as well on Twitter, at Sinsoc underscore. I'm very active there. I'm sure as maybe some of you guys listening know that. Um, love to tweet, love to get my thoughts, love to talk to you guys and reply. So make sure to shout me out there. I'm going to make sure to respond back to you. But yeah, Twitter, AdSense, underscore. And uh, yeah, that's where basically you can find all my stuff. Alex, absolute pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure's been all mine and I can't recommend going and following them enough. So uh, make sure you go do that. And uh, I'll have to have you on again down the road when we got more to talk about as the season rolls on here. 
Likewise, brother, once we start our podcast up again, shout out, by the way, to our producer and everything. We're doing a lot of work behind the scenes. Stay tuned very soon. Hopefully we'll have an announcement on uh, the podcast and stuff like that. But once we have things sorted out, Alex, you're, you're definitely on our list. So we'll uh, have to have you on there soon too. Awesome. I look forward to it. Huge thanks to Brandon for uh, joining me. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, it's always fun having him on and I'm glad he could, I could get him on for a second time. Um, I just want to thank everyone for listening, and uh, if there's anyone else you want to hear as the season gets going, and I know I say this every week, but I'll continue to say it. If there's anyone you want to hear, you know, let me know, and, I, and I'll do my best to try and get them on. Um, thank you all so much for the support, and I hope you're enjoying the start of the season as much as I am. Uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, and this looks like it should shape out to be a fun year at the very least, which I think is all uh, Sens fans really want at this point, and uh, I think I speak for most fans when I say that is all... Uh, anyone's asking for right now so um i will be back uh next week i'm hoping to make this uh the classic every seven to ten days or so depending on how the schedule goes um so thank you everyone so much for listening uh you can find my other podcast the m&m hockey podcast wherever you listen to this one that is with chase mccallum and we cover all the league's topics in that one, not just send stuff. So if you want to listen to my thoughts on other teams as well, that's where you can find that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. I believe we're almost at 550 followers on that Sends podcast, um, which is just on, on the Sends podcast Twitter account, which is so, so awesome. So, um, yeah, thank you everyone for the support and I will talk to you all next week.